from Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi, this is Taking the Reins Podcast. If you love all things horses, get ready for a relatable and educational look into the lives of horses and the people who love them. Now here's our host, Clay Cavender. This week, we're continuing our discussion with our three uh, guest panelists from last week, Molly Nicodemus, Molly Friend, and Katie Holkamp. And we're continuing this discussion about the horse-human interaction. This episode is going to be more based on the research aspects of what's been going on around uh, equine therapy and how horses can better the lives of the people that um, are involved with them. And so I think you'll enjoy this second episode of Outside of a Horse. If you have not heard the first one, I'd advise to go back and listen to that. And it'll give some perspective on uh, what this is all about. But uh, here's our continued discussion with these three ladies about what horses have to offer us as a beneficial component to human health really in episode one we talked about the the personal benefits and how we we felt emotion we felt confidence building from our experiences growing up or even in the field today but one thing i think i want to do is i want to i want to have this discussion of research but i don't want to have it in a way that's sterile okay i want to have it in a way that's really organic and feels good and so what we are supposed to do as research scientists academics is we're supposed to take our own research ideas and make them translate to the people that that, that matters right that matters to the people who are putting it forth into production so that's where we're going to go today is that quality research must relate to those we're trying to benefit before we get into all that i want to start kind of on this entrepreneur idea so katie that's kind of where we're going to start she's the owner of dogwood equine connections and she started this business from the ground up i think it was her own creation mentally and physically but at one time she was a student of molly nicodemus in our department uh actually in human science department wasn't it uh, I, I was with her with with my bachelor's degree, and then I went to the human science for a master's, and then I came back in the animal phys uh, department for my PhD. But I was back under Dr. Nicodemus for right. that. I knew there was another department kind of mm-hmm. uh, tr- translated in there. Yeah, as well. and I might actually add in there the reason why. So she was my student, and when she, it came time to going on to graduate school, really at the time there wasn't a lot of research or graduate work focused in this area, and there was a real need to diversify to be an expert in this area it wasn't just being an equine scientist Mm -hmm. so i really honestly begrudgingly shipped her off to human sciences me right out i kicked her out and i did not want to now i forced her that i had to be on her committee for her research i told her at that time she needed that experience if she wanted to go into the mental health side of it she needed to be a mental health professional and she already was extremely solid as an equine scientist i i mean she was excellent and, and would have done extremely well working on her graduate work with me in equine science, but she needed that other component. And so that's why we sent her off to human sciences. We continued doing research in working with at-risk youth, mm-hmm. um, but she had the horse side of it. It was a matter of diversifying to get that other aspect of it. And then when she did, then she came back to the PhD side. We went into animal physiology, really, so that we can get both the human and the horse, the exercise physiology. Physiology, 
And she had a very diverse committee. I loved her committee. And curriculum. And curriculum because we were pulling from psychology. Um, we were pulling from, again, the equine, the, the human social sciences, work, social uh, work. Biostats in the vet school. Yeah. I mean, she was working. Her committee had, you know, a whole component of different people from all different um, departments helping to decide how could we make this student strong enough that she can step out into the industry and be a professional in the industry. And so she had a very diverse background of uh, classwork and expertise helping to guide her along the way. And that really she was the first to be able to graduate with a degree that really was a graduate degree that was focused in this understanding of equine interaction and this therapeutic intervention. So really, you know, was a cutting edge for for what she was doing at the time. I'm going to put this out there in case anybody listens and wants to become an equine therapist. I learned a lot in my master's of human science, but um, that did not provide me with a licensure to actually do the therapy side. And so I might recommend I went back during my PhD and did a um, at University of Tennessee and did a master's in social work. And that provides me the licensure route to actually come back and do it on that clinical level, which is what's necessary. Well, so. Where did that start, though, Katie? You, when you went back into graduate school, was this the end product or, or is this no. kind of just happened? Um, I say it's a God thing every day of the week. Um, I was one of those. I just kept looking for what was next. And when I graduated with my bachelor's uh, and I majored, I'd had the um, bachelor's in ag econ too. And so I knew I wanted to do business. I really loved business. Um, and I didn't necessarily know I wanted to do therapeutic writing at that time because that was really the only thing that was very popular around here. But through that master's in human science, I got to research the veteran side of equine therapy. And then uh, we got to do a cool real, little summer project. It was like four weeks long with an undergrad student looking at at-risk youth, which is where Dr. Nicodemus helped me come back and look at my data. And we coined the term uh, emotional safety because that seemed to be the theme of what those students were giving us um, with their qualitative research. And at that point, it all was qualitative research. It was all the feel-good stories, but I was um, really honed in on trying to get insurance coverage um, for equine therapy. I couldn't understand why somebody who is as passionate as me couldn't, you know, get more access. And it wasn't about making more money. It was more people need insurance coverage to receive the services or to access the services. Um, and so I was really looking into that. Um, but that kind of led me back to um, I was speaking about the Therapeutic Writing Center to a um, Rotary Club. And the Rotary Club happened to be in my grandparents' hometown. If you know anything about small towns, when somebody uh, is in there and they say, hey, call me or you need to call so and so, you do it because your grandparents are going to come after you if you don't. And so a lady ran up and said, you need to call my son. He works at this Oxford Treatment Center. Well, Oxford Treatment Center's two hours from my house. So I had a little bit of a drive home. So I called him, the friendliest guy you've ever met. Um, his name's Hank Holmes, and he is an exp experiential therapist for Oxford Treatment Center. He said, hey, we're hiring an equine therapist. I was like, well, that's cute. I know a lot about therapeutic riding. I know nothing about alcohol and drug treatment. Um, that's two hours from my house. He said, come up here and at least tour. Went home, told my husband, kind of made a joke of it. He said, no, absolutely not. Go up there, see what they have to say. See if this is something you might be interested in. Well, lo and behold, um, local guy, he owns um, Right Track Medical Group 
but he owned Oxford Treatment Center at the time. He gave me a part-time job where I could work weekends and Mondays because those were the only days of the week I was not in grad school. So I drove myself two hours one way and started learning, fell in love. I have a very direct but compassionate personality and I started thriving. I learned a lot about, as they were telling me about um, addiction treatment, I got to sit with the cowboys, the other equine therapists, and I'm sitting here going, hey, horses do that. Oh my goodness, I've seen my horse do that. You're right, they behave like this. And so we started looking at the horses as a model for addiction treatment, and that's a whole different lecture for another day, but it's amazing the similarities and overlaps and putting that science into, because they had they have an amazing uh, equine department there, but we were lacking the science of it. We were kind of relying a little bit on the cowboy magic, um, but Oxford Treatment Center, their CEO at the time was Mark Sawyer, but now Mark uh, Stovall, they've continued our research. And so they let me do um, my PhD project there with the, I had actual access to the detoxing population, to the uh, extended stay inpatient treatment. And you really don't get access to that as an academic. And so they've partnered with us. We've brought numerous grad students and interns and undergrad research students continuing to partner with them. Um, but through that, we did need to do one other project and Mississippi state though they have come around and supported us kind of on the hind end of this they didn't have any funding for this and I had I applied for different PhD programs within the university and I would get they'd say you've got a hundred on the application portion of this but when it comes to the interview and I said I want to do equine therapy they were like uh, no, I don't, we don't we don't have that on the mental health side of things and so it took um, Dr. Scott Willard bless him I chased him through a hallway and begged for five minutes of his time and he was so kind and courteous and he said absolutely come in and I told him whatever my heart was and what I wanted to do and he said if you can put a committee together let's go and so I chased people again through hallways and asked for just a few minutes of their time and had a lot of people come along Dr. Nicodemus was like hey we can head this up we can figure it out and so with a really diverse group um, we set up and we did actually really three PhD level yes. projects in one because we had the time I was already here we might as well make this time worth it because we didn't know if we'd get funding again mm -hmm. um, but again my lovely husband because I was working full-time through the masters and through the PhD at Oxford I'm um, kind of learning and researching all in one um, we decided to build a barn down here because COVID hit and we needed a place to finish one project. I needed one six week project and my husband and I had bought some land. I said, you know what, if I could put one little barn up here. And so he built you a barn to finish a research project. Yeah, a little bit, but I yes. would say I like that, he, he helped, but um, my program director, Elizabeth Wilson and I, we studied the thing and we put the inch, uh, the, um, what is it? The insulation in it. Now, never take those walls off because we didn't know anything about a two-foot center. But it is up, and it was a labor of love, and we got it done. And now houses so many different programs and has impacted so many different community members and grad students and interns and volunteers. So it's currently going. Who are the people that you're impacting? Like, who are, who are your clientele? My clientele come from Vaden, Mississippi. They come from Oklahoma, Mississippi. They drive two, three hours at times. Um, Columbus, New Hope, Caledonia. So we have five different branches. We have um, a psychotherapy incorporating equine, as Miss Molly Friend coined that term. I love it, pie. It's amazing. Pie. So with that, is that um, yours, Molly? Pie yes, was yes, yours? that's yes, hers. Pie is hers. Um, so we have a traveling component of this. So we go to different alcohol and drug treatment facilities, haul horses to them on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. 
Um, so we're impacting really all throughout the state and some of those clients are national. Um, we also have a, a therapeutic writing program there at the barn. So we have a lot of clients from Startful, Columbus, New Hope, Caledonia, all of that. We have more of a, a stress relief, mental health reduction, um, because until I get the LCSW, so that final clinical level, I don't do straight up equine therapy at the barn um, just because licensure requirements. But we do have some that are more, um, not necessarily skill building as the focus of their writing, but more a little bit more stress reduction um, and just kind of isolation reduction. So we've got clients from Vaden, as I said, that come over from that. Um, so you deal with a, a full range of people in terms yes. of it could have mental physical impairment could not and we do traditional lessons riding yes. okay. uh, western we have a show team we're heavily involved in 4-h now just took some kids to district we'll go to state and then i have a college group that teach for me but then i take them with the american ranch horse association and they show as well and we do english jumping all of that so we hit the range on equine therapy we also have horse powered reading we talked about that tutoring aspect of it too one thing that you mentioned i love is i'm thinking about this and and passion can be good and bad right it can mm -hmm. be it, it, you can you can beat a dead horse to death yes right but i like to have, i'm sure dr willard would love to tell that story in a different perspective how you chased him down the hall but <laughs> and uh, she did literally chase him down was. the yeah, hall but look, yes. but look where it got <laughs> yes it's a, it again jumping off in the deep end sometimes is what you have to do mm -hmm. to get what you want i, I love that Let, let's shift gears just a tick so let's go back to the research side of it then mm -hmm. if so you've gotten this far you've given our viewers or listeners a perspective on where you're at today but how did the research project you did without getting we don't have time to get into all the meat and potatoes right. and everything about it but how did the research project that you and dr nick demas came up with translate into what you do now really it just kept bringing community into our barn while we had a research project going we could take students and volunteers because they could learn about the research side of it as well uh, and we needed help to facilitate and so as i just kind of looked at hey this student's looking for an opportunity i have this one coming up would you give it a try and uh, it really just kept building this hub, especially during those COVID days of mm -hmm. somewhere safe. We could be outside. We didn't, uh, we didn't have to be up in each other's bubbles, um, but we had a learning service component to it. Um, and so really that service learning is where yeah. it all kind of came together. Where did the research in, in a condensed version, Dr. Nicodemus, where did the research idea come from that you wanted to focus on? So this built obviously your idea into what Katie did and then eventually we'll talk to her about Molly what she did and but where did this idea come from so I want to know we're going to talk in a little bit like where does it need to go mm -hmm. but where was it in, in its infancy so again you know we talked about our personal side but really honestly the opening part of it of really where we went aha we need to do research was actually Katie's project working with at-risk youth mm -hmm. And I'm looking at this data and she had done a poster presentation and I'm like, this is fabulous. This is really where these these kids that were, you know, failing in the classroom weren't, you know, weren't succeeding. Pretty much they weren't, you know, we were lucky if they were going to graduate. And you started reading, it was just qualitative, just doing um, you know, interviews with these kids. And what you saw in there was just this change, this empowerment that occurred. And as we started kind of putting the data together, and then when we submitted it for publication, the great response that we got back, we realized that this isn't just about at-risk youth, and it's about 
really hitting home with a bunch of these other individuals, young adults really struggling with some of the health-related issues, uh, mental health-related issues that they're dealing with. And of course, the first one pops up obviously is substance abuse. And a lot of these kids that are at risk were already struggling with that. And so because of Katie's relationship with Oxford Treatment Center, we saw an opening that we really wanted to look at. Here's full-blown substance abuse disorder. How is the horse going to empower and help for them to recover? You know, what are the benefits of, of this? And there hadn't been any research done specifically on substance abuse and equine interaction at all. Um, and see if what we saw with the at-risk youth would translate with and kind of overcome these, these individuals. I mean, there's a physical side to substance abuse and withdrawal and everything. Are they able to overcome that with the interaction of the horse? So we were looking at, you know, the empowerment side and looking at um, studying that emotional safety, learning about respect, connectivity, um, security, things like that. Um, and so that's really where we wanted to take and build off of that at-risk youth to see if we can, with this type of therapeutic intervention, if we could see the same benefits, but with individuals that were struggling to, to get out of this cyclic pattern of, of substance abuse disorder. There was what was the highlight of the end result of this when you're all done? What, what's the synopsis? Ooh, of all of it was to me the model that the horse provides for addiction treatment but the cool i think what you were asking earlier too about how did this particular project happen we really wanted to look at the difference between um projects that were just people just interacting with horses versus people doing the same activities the grooming the leading the riding whatever it may be but with a therapist involved so like a therapeutic angle we're not just uh, shooting the breeze but we're also talking about okay well how does this grooming relate back to kind of your mental health and so we did a study with the college students on campus doing just their regular lab so then we wanted to keep that college population the same um, the Mississippi State environment the same but people who maybe their mental health was a little bit more of a priority so that's where we went to the collegiate recovery community because that also piggybacked off the inpatient study we were doing at the same time so we could kind of keep some of the variables um, the same or at least within the same family group and so that study at the barn was the same activities therapeutic intervention not just equine assisted happiness but that psychotherapy incorporating equines and so that's what that study was for and that's kind of where uh, molly and i kind of started seeing how we could benefit each other in terms of our interests is mm -hmm. 2016 or so uh, i had a ursp student jillian hatcher who um, was interested in doing some kind of research project and i just like you know i don't know what to do in this area but i put together a little undergraduate project where all we wanted to do is know how i think i told the story earlier to molly maybe when um fran when she was here before y'all were but it's an interesting story because i want to do this project didn't know how to do it had no idea how you implement it, but I did have an idea that I knew it was beneficial. The horses were beneficial. I knew mm -hmm. that. But um, I wanted to do just for the average guy, like we talked in the first episode, the banker. Well, Jill, along comes Jillian, and I go to Judge a Horse Show in Texas. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Texas, and this lady's my uh, ringster. She comes up to me, and they said, this is your ringster. Her name is Leslie Figueredo. And uh, I was, you know, was chit-chatting with her. I said, what do you do, Leslie? She said, well, I run a therapeutic horse program mm -hmm. i said well okay you know typical ptsd that kind of issue nope just a regular guy oh, i love I was that. Like, oh my gosh this is like divine intervention right mm -hmm. so i'm like how do i measure this 
Mm-hmm. How do I do? How do? But how do I measure this quantitatively, qualitatively? How do I do this? She said, "Well, here, here, I send you this stuff." So she had all this research on, uh, make them brush the horse fifty times on this side, then they walk around, they brush the horse fifty times on this side, and they comb the tail. And so what we did, we set up this project where the first half of it, we brush the horse, then we asked them pre-post how the, how it made them feel, blah blah blah. Then they had to lead the horse through a little trail obstacle, working with the horse, connected with the horse, ask them how to make you feel. And there's a lot of results from that highly beneficial for stress relief perceived stress relief obviously mm-hmm. and the but the one thing they said that the open ended question was how did working with a horse for an hour make you feel i think there were 60 70 participants something like that all but one said things like happy joyful excited mm-hmm. one person out of 60 whatever it was said fearful yeah mm-hmm. which i think can be interpreted a few different ways right yeah. it could mm-hmm. be a good yeah. fierce a good thing Especially, thing, especially if they don't usually say they're fearful. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. a new experience. Right. So that's when the ball started rolling for me on the research side of it. Like, okay, how do we how do we make this translate into publishable type data? And that project actually got a peer reviewed journal publication, Journal of Extension, which was hard to do with an undergraduate, but she got it done. You may not know this, but um, I was I not. I saw you quirk when I said Jillian Hatcher. I did. Um, my husband was a grad student in the ADS department mm-hmm. at the time, and he is an author on that paper, and That's he right. was technically a published author of therapeutic yeah. horseman anything well before I was, and he, that is not a fact that he lets me forget. Yeah, I, I, I totally forgot that Alex was involved in that, yeah. but you're uh-huh. right. Yeah. 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 I did, yeah, I did a search on, and all of a sudden it popped up. I'm like, when did Katie publish something without me? I did And then not. I looked, and I'm like, what? And so I started reading it, and I was like, oh, I bet you she never hears the end of it. Never. And, and, and the I can't part, how he got involved in it. He yeah. just weaseled his way into it. Dr. Yes. Dan would offer <laughs> him yes. up to yes. edit and work with students. That's <laughs> how. But, yeah, and that really honestly was a good foundation study when we were, we were doing Molly's project and stuff because it, again, just kind of reinforced from its publication, reinforce this therapeutic intervention and how it could be positive especially for young adults which was really kind of our focus with um our other project that molly and i did so let's jump there then so you know fast forward a few years along comes uh molly friend to interview here in auburn (laughs) and a few other places and she was from michigan and so knowing i'm from texas oklahoma i I think i don't know about a yankee but She wound up being an all-star for sure. And so she got thrown into a project. I don't know if that was your first love yeah. affair idea. No, it wasn't. It was not. I just kind of forced it upon. No, it was not. I'm like, but it worked we're gonna out. Do, we're going to do exercise physiology. Wink, wink. You know. Yeah, um, we are. And then, yeah. And then I'm like, if I can get her attached to Katie, Katie can somehow convince her. You know, she's very addictive. Um, and her passion or love for her research. I knew if I could get Molly out there that she'd get on this bandwagon. But I did. That was not her first intention. But it really was after we got done with Katie's work, we knew there was more that needed to be done, but I needed a bright and passionate student that could take it and do it justice. And well, you so got one. I did. Molly I did. Yeah, yes, for sure. And I, I feel, I remember like when she was going through all that, I think she was driving out there maybe on Wednesday, every Wednesday, I think it was certain. <laughs> At like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yes. And so I remember saying to her, like, who do you tell me which you need help? We're going to get you help. Well, because of, um, you know, a HIPAA, yeah, a HIPAA violation uh-huh. problems, she couldn't have help, so mm-hmm. she was doing it all by herself, which was... Well, Katie. <laughs> and Katie. Right. And the interns we employ, yes. well, yes. they're not interns, our instructors that we employ mm-hmm. that we had trained and 
Yeah, they we get them up early too. <laughs> so Molly, let's, when you started doing this, give us a rundown of kind of what you thought about it as far as what you've learned through the program and, and obviously highlight kind of what you did for your master's project here at Mississippi State. Yeah, so so my master's project was essentially we um, went out to a the residential uh, substance abuse treatment center out in Oxford um, that Katie mentioned previously. And we took two horses every time and uh, we, with withdrawing substance abuse, patients um, administered um, psychotherapy incorporating equine interaction pie uh, <laughs> once a week and um, so with that we measured uh, a few different things we measured cortisol salivary cortisol concentrations heart rates and we actually we also took a survey and we did the cortisol and heart rates on the horses too because we wanted to know we know that um, that this type of interaction doesn't stress the horses unnecessarily, but we didn't know how the physiological interaction between the humans and horses within a substance abuse population would work. Um, and I might just add, there hadn't been before that a lot of work done, but you heard this phrase called human-horse coupling, mm -hmm. and we had seen it a lot. Katie had done kind of a preliminary, her small project out at her own personal barn. Mm -hmm. We started to look at like vital signs, but we wanted to, we saw something there, but we needed more. And so that's where kind of our obsession with we needed more, where it translated to Molly's project, is to really study that human-horse coupling, that interaction, that physiological interaction between horse and the human participant um, within this therapeutic environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so that's that's kind of the general synopsis of my, my research project, um, but. And, and where does what was the end result? So, this is funny about Molly. If you, Katie, you were there. Yeah, you you were on the committee, right? Yeah, I so wasn't on the, the committee, but I got to were, be there. Yeah, the so, so she Are you knew. You gonna the, commit this to Katie? She tape? knew the literature. <laughs> no. She knew the literature so well that she kind of had a shortened presentation ready. But when she started the presentation, it was the short version. It wasn't the 40, 45 mm -hmm. minute, and did it from memory. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you know the literature. You know what's going on here. So based on that. Based on what you presented and what you finished up, uh, what, what were some of the impactful research that you read, understood, implemented, and then um, kind of give us a highlight of what you saw as sort of the end result of what you did? Yeah, so I guess to start like the research that we implemented. So um, kind of you know jumping off with the beginning of this research project. So it, it seemed like in past research everyone was trying to like reinvent the wheel. You know, saying like, does this stress horses? Does this stress horses? No, it doesn't. We know that a lot of times over now. Um, but I think it was a, a paper by Dr. Malinowski at Rutgers um, was the was was one of the ones that we kind of used um, to to inspire part of my project, which she was measuring. Um, plasma cortisol and oxytocin in the human participants. I believe they were PTSD patients. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was one of the, the first ones that we saw really do a like a scientifically sound physiological like ev evaluation of this impact. And so that was something that we really wanted to emulate in its quality um, and, you know, breaking into the physiological side of this rather than just the qualitative side of it. And so, um, you know, with that, moving into to my research, we also wanted to hit the substance use population and maintain that quality. And we also didn't want to account for too much variability that made it unrealistic. So some of, a lot of these papers actually had, um, you know, this, this therapy being administered like five days in a row for like three hours at a time. You know, it just, it, it's unrealistic. Like that's not, that's not a therapeutic intervention that you get no, every day. Intensive. Yeah. yeah. And so we wanted to, we wanted to make it happen, you know, 
not in a vacuum because it's never going to take place in a vacuum and looking for that kind of um the insurance coverage i mean the numbers the numbers have to be reflective of what's actually going on and so that was kind of what we wanted to emulate in my study um, and so my study, we didn't actually find what we expected to find. Um, with mine, we, we didn't see much in the salivary cortisol as far as the changeover time or treatment. Um, or sorry, the changeover time by treatment, but we did see and, and actually- And just, and just to, hold on just a second. Yeah. Some, some people might not know what cortisol oh, yeah. is. So cortisol is a stress response, right? Mm -hmm. So you're expecting to see some level of increased cortisol based on some stressful event that's happening to the animal or person, right? Yeah, yeah, sorry. So, and keep in mind, the other thing to really emphasize, which hers is so cutting edge and different from even what Katie did, is our focus was on that withdrawing patient. So mm -hmm. we were getting them right from the get-go. So they're already struggling with withdrawing draw so there's a lot of physiological you know uh, consequences with when you're taking that substance away from them and so they're going through this therapy and we're testing them as they're struggling with it so it was a short we really were just looking at the first two weeks when they are literally i'm sorry living in hell because they are in so much pain and suffering and that from that and mm -hmm. so again when you're not seeing the cortisol heighten like we thought we would see even though they're struggling so bad through the withdrawal that really that was surprising to mm -hmm. us because we figured they would be suffering immensely and we'd see these high cortisol levels so that was surprising um so and then i'll let molly kind of talk about i think the exciting part of it it was the pre um, horse interaction side of it too. We didn't see, we didn't see changes in the cortisol, but you know, looking back, maybe we should have expected to. And the fact that we didn't was surprising. And then also with the patient's heart rate, um, the patients actually, I believe it was their post heart rates were actually lower in the second week of interacting with that horse. So of course the first week they're, they're going through a ton of physiological, emotional, uh, changes. And, and so, we're explaining research projects yeah. to them. <laughs> I think that that was stressful too. We saw a lot of wide eyes. Welcome <laughs> to rehab. How about some research projects? Yeah, spit in a tube. But uh, <laughs> we, in the second week, actually, their ending heart rates were lower in the equine-assisted therapy as opposed to a typical like experiential activity-based therapy. Um, and that was another thing about my study is in both types of, of our intervention, experiential, which was our control group, and equine in the psychotherapy incorporating equine interaction, they were having approximately the same activity level. And so... We, we did see it be more effective in that respect. And then in the survey as well, we saw massive improvements across measures of anxiety and depression, so. Well, that's interesting. If so, if people are trying to get through this already stressful situation of mm -hmm. therapy for drug addiction or whatnot, the horse can definitely be a, a benefit. So let's, let's go from that aspect then to how do we partner with so we're talking so much about human mental side of things and, and whatnot, but we're all horse people. Maybe not Katie as much, but we're your horse person, but you're also a human person, right? On so the later end, yes. I'm an animal scientist and an emphasis on animal, not people. So <laughs> um, how do we how do we marry the two professionally? Yeah. Ooh, you find people like Mark Sawyer and Mark Stovall who are intelligent beyond measure in the addiction realm and in treatment facility realm or whatever population you're interested in. Um, and 
you show them that you, one, care about their population. I'm not just here to get research. I will never sacrifice patient well-being, patient goal to make sure I get them to spit in a tube. That's not going to happen. But also on the animal science side or as the researcher, I am going to keep an honesty and a protocol. So we make sure our protocols are manageable, but they account for clients going through some of the tough stuff. That's why we don't take 18 grad students up there to help collect data because we're going to respect the HIPAA rights and just the privacy of these people as it going through some of the tough times or some of their tougher times. Um, but working with places like Oxford Treatment Center um, and the other different facilities we partner with, um, that's it's kind of like what engineering's already been doing for years. They partner mm -hmm. with facility or with industry, and then the industry usually will invest back into the academic yeah. side, which we're working on right now. They're giving us access, and we're hoping we can work on maybe an assistantship or something that we can marry together a little bit more. Um, but the other thing is we we establish some loyalty there. Um, Oxford's been there for all of it, really, from my master's all the way till now, and they're willing to continue opening their doors if we're willing to continue to respect the work they're they're doing and if we're willing to advocate for the work that we're doing it doesn't just go in a, a thesis and sit at Mississippi State University we're doing things like this you will see a lot of us speaking far and wide about the research that we're seeing and the populations that we are impacting by this you know, one of the things that Molly Nicodemus and I talk about a lot of times is you know there's really not not that we're chasing research dollars necessarily but in, in, in many ways we are um, but there's not any reason there's really not a ton of research money in the equine side but no. the the human if you can couple humans to any animal that's where the real funding becomes and the real we can dive into uh the real heart of the matter right and so that that's what actually i really love about the people in this room is that you guys care about horses but you care about people and that makes really what we do worthwhile when we can start to impact people mm -hmm. And it, it really requires a collaborative effort in really having open and honest communication so that they understand when we went to Oxford, sitting down and say, this is our goal, these are our activities we want to do, how can you make this work? And then being you know respectful of where they're going to put limitations and, and working together as a team. I think that's a hard part about, and I don't know if it's the equine scientist side that we have a hard time like accepting <laughs> feedback and you know and adjusting and, and taking some of that you know claim to fame you know or whatnot. But it really has to be a collaborative effort in us respecting what they're doing and trying to make it work together as a team. And, 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 and respecting that I don't have as an equine scientist, I don't have the knowledge from the mental health side of it. You know, Oxford Treatment is, you know, the experts in that area. They have done this for so long. You know, getting their feedback and finding out how we can make this work so it's still therapeutic, but we're getting research. In the end, it benefits all of us. So, you know, it was nice being able to have that conversation, them being open to that. And we've done that even university-wise, where we're going to other departments that are the experts, whether it's psychology or human sciences or social sciences or whatever, and having an open and honest conversation and respecting all the different viewpoints and opinions it only makes the research stronger and that's really it is vital us as equine scientists a lot of our research we can do it by ourselves and be a lone drummer but for this type of research it has to be a collaborative effort and in the end i think it'll strengthen the research and it will help to promote it and get it farther along well it has to be because like i said before if you're an animal scientist you don't really have the quality training in the professional side mm -hmm. of the human side of it so yeah it does it takes people across the street in here to partner up and 
and be aware because I don't I don't know how many people are out there that are are um, as diverse as maybe Katie is with yeah. the human experience and the horse experience and vice versa. So to jump in both of those arenas yeah. is is difficult. Yeah, Katie is definitely the exception to the rule, and and I feel like I was like, hey, Katie, take this other degree, <laughs> do this other thing. That's a hard thing for most people to do, um, but we can work together with other experts, and where we are weak in some area, we can find others to be the strength and to build this collaborative program. And I think that's essential as people are moving forward, not only in the research area, but even in the industry side. Collaborate with people that you can have this open and honest conversation. You all have the same love for not only the horse, but of the therapeutic intervention. So, you know, listen and work with each other. I think that's only going to make this research and this industry move forward. And not waiting till students are grad school because it's so much harder. At that point, I couldn't just change my major. I had to complete a degree and then go get another degree and then another degree. And that was not by choice. That was really by necessity to keep up with the industry as it was changing so quickly. When I first started in 2017, high school education, some horse experience. You could be an equine therapist at a corporate level. That is no longer the case. Uh, And I'm glad that's not, but I had to keep chasing degrees to do that. But what I have found is I've had undergrads come in as freshmen Mm -hmm. just as a volunteer and say, hey, you want to be an equine therapist? Cool. Consider double majoring in social work. So then you have a one-year master's and we can get on that clinical uh, supervision route. Um, Consider jumping to psychology if you want to jump to that OT realm. Um, And I've had a lot stay within equine science. And I'm like, that's cool, but we're going all the way through PhD, but we're going to get uh, get this outside training so you can strengthen that. Um, But getting them trained now and I give them access but I have a social work side and an animal science side social work anybody can come work with me that's fine I will welcome anybody to my barn equine side of me says but I'm not working harder than you I will not invest more than you if you want to come in and invest in your education I will meet you every day of the week but if you come in and you expect me to carry you around it's not happening so that's where the two industries in my world merge but that's what's helped me be successful in the research program that we have and, and what I think is dangerous too and I just throw this out there we don't have time to go in depth mm-hmm. the discussion but uh, I can think of a few there are some universities out there that have a four-year equine therapeutic <sighs> program oh and I know it's, oh it's and, yeah. and a lot of interest a yes. ton of Time interest, it. but I wonder again, what is the balance between job mm-hmm. opportunities at that yep. level versus number of people? Yes, and and it. we are so fortunate that Katie is willing after she's struggled through all of this to give back to our students. And I'll be really honest. So I send students that have an interest. Some of them we lose in the department because she sends we them do. off somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, I'll admit that. I know that when I'm sending them off for internships or some of the lab activities and things like that. But you know, we are so lucky to have her be a mentor for these students. But it frightens me for these new programs that are offering this degree in this equine there and if you look at the curriculum all they're doing is having them be glorified writing instructors so unless you start to have them where they are collaborating and working in multiple degree areas you know double major whatnot graduate work they really are not going to have the expertise to be functional and effective in this brand new therapeutic intervention there is so much research that still needs to be done Katie is navigating through grounds that have not been navigated before. If you don't have a solid background in this area, you are not going to be able to successfully and effectively implement this therapeutic intervention. And it all goes back to what we said before. Anything worth doing is hard to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're going to have to take the hard route, not the easy one. Yes. And I love that you're you're holding a 
accountability to the people that you're working with, which is good. So, and, and for the sake of time, we just got a few minutes left. Here's the last posing question I want each of you to answer um, in, in a gray sense, because we don't have time to get into really deep discussion, but it is a good question is, what's the future of all this? So we've come to this point, this fork in the row with the level of research, Molly, friend, you did. And if you were going to carry that on, kind of what's the future? What do we do now? Yeah, I think stop reinventing the wheel. Um, I think I think that you do have to, in some in some cases, account for variability or alter the population that past studies worked with, but also you know improve upon them. Like while you're altering them, improve upon them. And I think that's something major that, that I think needs to be addressed in the literature because a lot of it does appear to be copy and paste with the tiniest little alteration. Um, and then I also think you know introducing the fact that you know in an equine uh, the psychotherapy incorporating equine environment is so complex. There's a lot of things working there. And so looking at how to, you know, in this isolate some of those different variables so we can kind of start to suss out what mechanisms are at work here and then start to, again, then like build the physiological proof for the things that we're seeing instead of just taking a broad look at things, which is just kind of where the research is right now. Start to find ways to, through your, you know, design or whatever, um, and kind of separate that variability. I've got two thoughts. The first one is for the equine side of it to realize we do need the human science or the uh, really the therapy side of it as well. And we don't need to be competitive with it. We need to be collaborative with it. Um, we don't have to keep chasing insurance coverage. If we partner with a therapist, they have insurance coverage and they have to back it up. They can't just say we did equine therapy, but they have to back up the skills that were learned. And if that's a problem, then we need to check why we're doing it in the first place. We're not doing it just to play with horses. We're doing it to impact human lives. We're just using horses to do it. But the second thought would be start building career paths that our students can sustain because right now they get to come in they love their four years volunteering at a center and then that just becomes a nice college memory but if we can give them if we could use dual enrollment well where students are coming in and only doing two and three years at the university because they've got so many college credits from high school coming in then why are we not partnering with a the counseling department or the social work department to create almost like a dual degree where they're actually gaining correct um, curriculum in both aspects that then provides them a actual career path that can sustain their families so we need to use that time a little bit better yeah and I'm going to say I'm going to jump back to the research side because I have so many studies in my brain and there's a whole wealth of, of research that needs to be done I think one of the biggest issues is we've depended so much on the kind of survey studies and that and so I'm glad that we've started getting in the direction of the physiological side mm -hmm. as an exercise physiologist who actually did some of my graduate work even involved the human side of it I feel that that's something we really need to look at um, and we saw that a lack of physical activity with COVID caused all kinds of issues both mentally and physically so I think the physiological side is something we need to continue to look at and really invest in um, looking at these various disabilities and kind of have an understanding of it and again that has to be a collaborative effort with the experts that are in the industry whether it's the physical disabilities the mental health disabilities whatnot we've got to work with these individuals and really get to know um, what is going on with those individuals as they're struggling with, you know, it's like that withdrawal. I'd never realized what all they were going through with withdrawal. So having the experts there to explain this, and I'm like, 
from an exercise physiologist, I understand what their body is going through. And boy, how are they even making it through this therapy? Mm -hmm. It really clicked from that side. So I think if we want to move forward and get some respect from the scientist side, we need to really focus on on that. And we need to look at various measures. I still, and I've said this from the beginning with Katie knows in my PhD, I'm not a big fan of, we've done a lot of studies with cortisol, but I think there's more research out there looking at the physiology side of it. Katie and I are already working on our next graduate student. Yeah. And some of the things we're going to measure. And I think really starting to get outside of the box of some of the traditional measurements are there um, because this is a new form of therapy. So it's going to require a new way of measuring different things. But I think the more we start to research, and again, like Molly said, not reinventing the wheel, but starting to get out there and branch out into studying new aspects of the physiological side of this type of therapy, I think we can put science behind it and start to put relevance to this therapeutic intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked what you said about the the survey aspect of it's great. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of times with the survey type of analytical work, it's it's perception, right? It's, it's kinda, a good stepping stone. It's, it's a, a good foundation. We got to right. start somewhere, but it's time. We have been staying there for years on our research. I mean, as far back to her master's and even before that, it's time to start building from there. And we have the science. Now, there still needs to be work done, but the science is there. So it's taking it to the next level. But I have to understand as a, as a equine scientist, the human side of it. And that's where Katie and the experts, like where we worked with Oxford Treatments, can educate me on that so then I can say okay physiologically these are some perimeters that we could start studying where and these are our possibilities as a research I can measure so it took all of us coming together for these studies and we've got to continue progressing from there in order to really start to understand this therapeutic intervention more from a scientific background and understanding I think that's a great place to close because if you have not listened to episode one where we discuss kind of our emotional aspect the feeling aspect the personal experience of what horse ownership involvement um, has entailed do that because it will really add or benefit to what we talked about in this one because um, the research component of it is so great I appreciate all of you guys putting your twist on it putting your ideas on it and I think you still you said enough without saying too much to give a whole bunch of other ideas away which is good too so thank you for each one of you for your time and I appreciate you thank you for joining us on taking the reins a special thank you goes to the Mississippi State Extension Service and the MSU Animal and Dairy Sciences Department. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking the Reins Podcast.